One, two. Oh God, we started not only on time but before We're time. Early. Look at us, y'all. I'm proud. On time, early, fed. Mm-hmm. So I won't get hangry by the time we're done. <laughs> so let's get this thing started. Well, before we do, we've got a few new tacos to talk about. Yay. Um, I can't remember if I did this last week, so um, I'm just going to make sure I didn't forget anybody. But welcome to Eric, Amanda, Andrew, and Sydney. New Sydney. Another Sydney. Another Sydney. Um, and another shout out to Stephanie, who upped her membership to a Supremo status. <laughs> She's been supporting us as a about a year for as a small taco right. and is now bumping up to Supremes. So uh, so today's surprise shot dedication will be for Stephanie, who is a longtime listener and supporter thank and you, now Stephanie. official Supremo. Thank you. Thank you. Surprise shots, surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. I think you'll like it's it. It's like Smurf. It's probably hypnotic. Cheers. Cheers. Is that what it was? It was. It was. So I got this YouTube channel, Johnny Llama. It's basically I'm doing the stories here and I'm just transferring over to YouTube solo format. So there's no interruptions from the girls in the background. That's right. Yeah. Nothing well, from the peanut gallery. Yeah. Well, a lot of people like that format, you know? And honestly, I don't want to be a, one of those true crime vloggers or bloggers or whatever the hell. I want to go more of the UFO route. So Like weird stuff. Yeah, and- like strange tales, creepypastas, and crap like that. Yeah. That's whatever what you're do. interested in. Yeah, but this- Ghost stories? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Ooh. And even some of the, a lot of the history stuff. A lot of you guys like the history. There's a couple good ones where we have coming up. Somebody has requested the Unit 731 case. I want to do that one. I think it's 731. Yeah. Unit Unit 731 case. I'm going to do that one coming up. Tonight is a request as well. If you want to request a story, just go to talkmore.com. There's a little box there on the homepage and at the very bottom on the footer. And you just type something in and press that button. It goes straight to my email. If you want to get credit for your story, just be sure to throw your name in there. All right. Tonight, we're going to Massachusetts. Hey, oh, there you go. Does anybody know where Fall River is? I do. That's very close to where Jen lives or is from. Who else is from there? Lizzie Borden. Oh, you know that? Oh, my God. Are you doing this story today? <laughs> I'd be so mad. Oh, why? Because you <laughs> had it all like prepared at your house? In. Don't worry about be- it. Because I wanted to do it. Yeah, you've been saying that for a year. Yeah, but she she did commit to after her spring break. Yeah. So, but he's not doing that case. I do know that. Okay. Sure. Uh, Lauren, I'm going to read you what Lauren I says. I just got really upset. Lauren oh, yeah, whatever. Said, You're probably like, whew, off the hook. No, I was thinking about it this weekend. I was. Stop it. So Lauren says, I feel shitty. I listened to every episode, and so then I went to another podcast, but I feel dirty, so I'm seriously thinking of hitting Talk Murder to me for a second run. Oh, <laughs> you cheated on us. Don't do it. How dare you? <laughs> oh. Well, props to you for listening to over 300 episodes of us. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't do that. Holy Jesus. 
tonight we're going to 421 North Main Street, Leeds, L-E-E-D-S. London. I literally said we're going to Massachusetts. <laughs> Why would you say London? <laughs> because said, I thought you were just you, fucking Didn't you with just me. say that's another story? I'm confused. Where are we going? I thought he was and just... And who are we killing? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so... Know. We don't get hints Lizzie anymore. Lizzie Borden's the only serial killer that can be from Fall River, She wasn't a serial killer, and she was actually acquitted. So, there's that. Well, she's a little bitch. There's that. <laughs> Tonight, we're doing a... A uh, crazy story. I actually interviewed a special agent for this case. So, oh, is it your mom? What? Her mom's not a special agent. No, but I thought that was like a su- another word for surprise guest. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Can you imagine my mom, though, as a special agent? Like, my mom the other day called me because she's like, okay, so I can't figure out how to connect your computer because i gave her my old macbook i can't it's not connecting to the internet how do i how do i ensure it's connected to the internet i'm like okay mom you see this how there's that little like three bar thing that looks like the same thing that's on your phone i mean can you imagine she i mean man she would be the greatest undercover agent if that's the case because i'm not sure how she's made it this far in life <sighs> love you mom <laughs> your mom says some crazy shit What's the funniest thing that my mom has said? She's, uh, I don't know, she's really funny and great. She's a very great person. But sometimes she just says things that are kind of aloof, you know, kind of like. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And what's that saying about the apple doesn't fall? Okay. You know, the sideboard (laughs) thing was like a one-time thing. Sideboard. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tonight we're going here. What is this? Is it a campus? Campus. Up, oh, you can see by the sign. They all kind of look the same. A hospital? No. What is that? A flag? Oh, soldier on. Maybe it's a VA. Oh, oh yeah, a VA. Oh dear. There's the sign. I wanted to. We were. I was pretty mad at the VA at one point. So I wanted to start a blog called Veteran Despairs, and it, the logo would be VD <laughs> instead of VA. <laughs> yeah, all the VAs do kind of look the same. This mm. looks very different from the one that's here in Charleston. Not, it looks like a school, honestly. Well, the 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 one in it's Columbia nice. also looks like a school because oh. they had the medical school there too. Oh, yeah. So all VAs are different. We're going to December eighth, nineteen ninety five, and this is in the VA hospital. We're talking about this man right here. Do you want to describe this guy? He was an officer. I can't tell what his how how would you why do you say that based on his hat you can't even see anything on his hat it says Getty images (laughs) 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 Lauren says he's an airman yeah there you go honestly this is the only picture of this man that that is out there so I can't tell Lauren says that's his basic training photo oh okay that makes sense now yeah, that makes sense. So that's because those glasses are what we call BCGs, birth control glasses. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they call them, <laughs> birth control glasses. I like glasses. I think glasses are cute. Judging by that photo, he doesn't look that old, does he? He doesn't look old, but it looks like an older photo. <laughs> Lauren photo. says it looks like it's from the 80s. That's that what picture. I was going to say. 
So this man, Henry Hudden, he was stationed in the Royal Air Force Base Station in London. He was discharged when he was in London. He was at a pizza parlor in the city. The details on this are just not there anymore. But we do know that there was a, a fight in the bar and he was struck on the head with the back of the head with a beer bottle. The person that had struck him had hit him with so much force that as he fell down, the his retina became detached. Oh, no. I don't like that. He spent three weeks in a coma. The reason I'm telling you this story is because tonight we're going to the VA and he is a patient at the VA. And he wouldn't have been a patient at the VA if it wasn't for this event. This happened years before 1995. However, the aftermath of that barroom fight has left him with some severe medical conditions. He was paranoid schizophrenic. He would hear voices. He would, he would forget things, forget who he was, where he was. He would often leave. This is from, like, the concussion from the... Yeah, this is from the concussion. Wow. Yeah. Hudden was in a coma for three weeks, and when he emerged, he was a different person. He grew argumentative and emotional. His hands shook. He heard voices. He couldn't keep a job. He was sent home. Hudden was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Oh, this is almost like, what's his name, that had the railroad spike through his head? Phineas Phage? <laughs> Phineas Gage. Phineas Phage. <laughs> I feel like you have a railroad spike in your head. <laughs> Phineas Phage is the sideboard version of Phineas Gage. I am a sideboard. Si- sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> she just needs a beer. Someone get her a Guinness. Oh my God. <laughs> At least I didn't oh try. Guineas Phage. That's a pretty cool name, though. <laughs> You know, like when you started saying that, I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> and then you finished. I was like, no, that's definitely not right. <laughs> Almost. Good try. Good All try. Right. What Nicole just read was from the Boston Globe, October 8th, 2000. December 8th, 1995. He finds himself hospitalized. He's in Ward C under the care of several different nurses. Now, this is, it is the ICU, but... He has no, there's, there's no fear of him dying. This is just a, it was just one of those things, you know, that he ended up there. There was no direct threat to his life. He found himself in the ICU around 2 p.m. A few hours later, a nurse walks in to his room and pulls the curtain back. Now, no one directly saw what the nurse did, but they do know that she was in with the patient alone. And then Henry Hudden began to scream. You can't leave me here. You can't leave me in this building, Duquette said, reconstructing her brother's pleas. People are dying around here for no reason. When his mother asked Hudden why he was so afraid, he replied, the patients are talking about it. The staff is talking about it. The staff is talking to the patients about it. But Hudden was a sick man. He was delusional. He routinely saw demons where none existed. Henry Hudden, 35 years old, 
He is paranoid schizophrenic. His mother is taking care of him. Quote, you can't leave me here. You can't leave me in the this building. And he's talking about how all the other patients are dying. He says that he overheard some of the other nurses talking about it, kind of like through the grapevine. So within 45 minutes of the person we're talking about tonight, the killer that we're talking about tonight, within 45 minutes of this man, this veteran, Air Force veteran, being in her care, he would be dead. And we're going to talk about exactly what he went through in a little bit. But 45 minutes later, after she went into the room alone, pulled the curtain back, he ended up dying. Now, he wasn't scheduled to die or expire. That's what they call it in the medical field, expire. He wasn't expected to. This was more of a routine thing. And all of a sudden, the the doctors have to go tell the, the mother, who was basically just there to pick him back up, that her son is now dead. And he's a war, a war veteran. So we don't really have very many pictures of any of these guys, but this is the next patient I wanted to talk about. If you want to describe what he looks like, that's his tombstone. Oh. That's the only picture I could find. Oh, rest in peace. Stanley J. Jagodowski, 66 years old. From what I could find about him, which wasn't a lot, he was a Korean War vet. He was in the Army, and he he served his whole time in the Army. However, when he got out, he became really overweight, and he was actually in the VA because he recently got his uh, right leg amputated. For diabetes? For diabetes, yeah. The exact reason he was in the VA was a post-operative bowel obstruction. Oh. But he was recovering. Okay. The surgery went well. Everything went fine. He is diabetic, so he needs insulin and stuff like that. But when all was said and done, he was on the road to recovery. However, he was in Ward C with the killer we're talking about tonight. So after she puts him under her care, she he dies relatively quick. On August 21st, two licensed nurses visit him about 8.45 that night and in the charts, they mark him as fine mm. and on the way to recovery. Completely fine. This is from the Boston Globe. Just after leaving, one of the nurses saw Gilbert go into Jadowski's room with a needle and swab in her hand under the pretext of flushing his intravenous line with saline to keep the line open. Assistant U.S. Attorney's Welch and Ariane Devono said in court papers, all of Jagodowski's medications were oral tablets, they said. He needed no injections. Hmm. The nurse that was on staff with him that night in his room was Kristen Gilbert. And when they were alone, one nurse hears this man cry out, quote, Ow, it hurts. You're killing me. Oh. Immediately after they heard that, two nurses see Kristen Gilbert exit through the side entrance and... Immediately, this veteran goes into cardiac arrest and he dies within three hours. So she's seen by people who like it, it's not even like she's trying to cover up like something happened while she's there. She's while this per patient is yelling and screaming. People see her leave the room. And yeah, not but helping. they but not he, only like not only hurting him, but not helping him when he's in pain. Yeah. But the thing is, with these cases, these medical cases, you don't actually see the crime being committed. 
which is why it's really hard to prosecute these mm. serial killers. There's no cameras in there. I actually asked the guy that I interviewed for this story. I was like, why don't they put cameras in there? And why do you think? HIPAA. Yeah, they can't put cameras in there because of the HIPAA violations. But anyway, it was found out that this lady, Kristen Gilbert, pumped his line full of epinephrine, which is a Ooh. heart stimulant. So basically, his heart went into overdrive. Isn't so th- that what, what's in like... Um, it's an EpiPen. Yeah. Okay, there you go. All right, this is uh, the man I interviewed for this story. This is Bruce Sackman. His book is called Behind the Murder Curtain. Hmm. Special Agent Bruce Sackman hunts doctors and nurses who kill our veterans. So is a Special Agent FBI or CIA? Neither. So he's... Oh. Yeah, so he is with the VA. Oh. Which, yeah, and he'll explain it. I've got him in here in a second, but he'll explain what he does. But he is a Special Agent... With the VA and before, because this is a very small office that he's in. So before he was chasing serial killers, what what he actually termed as MSK, medical serial killers, that's what he termed, uh, okay. which is now used throughout. And you don't really hear that term too often. You often hear of angel of death. However, that's a erroneous term. And most of the cases, because angel of death actually refers to someone, a nurse like mercy or killing type of a thing, a, a nurse or doctor killing someone because they don't want to see them suffer or because the person asked them to something like that. That's an angel of mm-hmm. death. However, that's completely different than these guys that he was chasing. These are serial killers that that simply have their murder weapons as drugs provided by the hospital, which is crazy, right? I mean, the hospital provides the killing method and and the serial killers just, and this is actually, so he just does the VA cases, but this is a very rampant problem. And the problem with these, we've done serial killers like this before that, that kill nurses that kill and doctors that kill and stuff like that. The last one we did, I think was Charles Cullen. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could even technically say that that Mar- Marcel Petio was a medical serial killer, but not really. I don't know. Anyway, so Charles Cullen was probably the last one we did. He was a nurse, and he killed a shit ton of pa- patients, like 300 or something like that. And it, and yeah, anyway. But the problem is that it goes on for so long. That's why there's so many bodies, because by the time one of these... Doctors or nurses get caught. I mean, it's been 10 years. So there's a trail of bodies. Not only that, they've been to hospital to hospital to hospital. Like these hospitals, they'll get, they'll resign from a hospital. And it's kind of like your job. If you, if you bring on someone on board, you can call that company and all they can do is verify that they work there. It's the same shit. So even if it's suspicious that this person has killed like a ton of patients, they don't actually communicate that. So they just jump from hospital to hospital to hospital. Anyway, I'm starting with this case. This is the Kristen Gilbert case. There's another one that I'm going to cover next week. His name is Michael Swango. He's a a VA doctor as well. However, this guy is a, a real piece of work. His friends, when he was in his medical school, so he is not even a doctor yet. Started to call him Double O Swango, licensed to kill. Ooh. 
this guy has racked up a ton of victims. He actually before he even graduated. Yeah, he he flees the United States and Bruce or Special Agent Sackman here. He's the one in charge. He's the one that brought him down and Kristen Gilbert. Wow. But he flees the U.S., gets a job in Africa and he kills like 60 or more patients there. Then he goes to Zimbabwe and does the same thing. They were trying to extradite him back to Zimbabwe to answer for all these dead bodies that he left behind. Fucking crazy. Just could not stop killing. Wow. Fucking crazy. Anyway, that's the story I'm going to cover next week, but this is a Kristen Gilbert story here. So let's uh let's hear this guy's So he's background. covering multiple killers in his book. So he covers about four serial killers here. Michael, Michael Swango being the biggest. And Kristen Gilbert being not a doctor, nurse. but a nurse. So... At the end of this episode, I, I ask him two things because I'm going to do two episodes with this. One of them is going to be on the Michael Swango one. And he was a doctor. But this. I feel like like they just gave you the title to the episode in your hand. <laughs> yeah. So, like, licensed to. Yeah. Kill. But anyway, let's uh, let's Pretty hear this good. guy's uh, background. So how did you get hooked up with him? Uh, someone left a uh, request on the blog said hey you should contact this guy he wrote this book so i emailed him and we set up a thing and oh. we did an interview was it two days ago or something like that uh you talked to him on thursday i know it was a, such a treat man very smart guy has a ton of good stories my background is since i was the, the in the inspector general of the va and i was the special agent in charge of the northeast region so I was responsible for all major criminal investigations involving the VA hospital system oh, wow. in West Virginia, the Maine. That's why initially my concentration was all on the VA. Mm -hmm. But if somebody thinks that this phenomenon is unique to the VA, that's absolutely incorrect. I yeah. mean, these nurses and doctors who have murdered their patients have occurred all over the world. One of the good things about the VA is that there is an inspector general to look into these allegations. Whereas in the private sector, there is no real inspector general to look into these allegations. So what happens is that many times will fall on the local police. Mm. And the local police, depending on the jurisdiction, don't really have the financial resources or sometimes the expertise to really delve into these cases the way we were able to in the federal government. So one of the big reasons I wanted to cover this case is because we have a lot of female listeners, which means we have a lot of nurses, too, that listen to this. And when I was talking to Bruce about this, he said that this is a, a little known. I mean, we don't really hear about it, but it is it happens a lot more than we think that we see. Right. That. That you see. I mean, if, if I was a serial killer, I'm going to leave a body and the police are going to find it and then they're going to come looking for me. But I could kill hundreds of patients and just say, oh, they died of natural causes. And in 10 years down the road, now you have 300 some patients that you killed. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like it's a lot of um, it's like a lot of if you're a serial killer, though, and or, or you have a desire to hurt people, kill them and. So you decide to go to medical school for that purpose. That's like, a, that's a lot of work. Let, let me make my one point first. 
so anyway, the reason that I really wanted to do this case besides the VA thing is we have a lot of nurse listeners. And so a lot of you guys out there may be seeing or may be suspicious of some of your coworkers that have this lust for killing. So oh, shit. at the end of the episode, I asked Bruce, which I'll play in this one. What advice does he have to give to nurses? Because in 100% of the cases that a doctor or nurse is caught is because one of the coworkers come forward. However, mm. there are ramifications in most cases and there's no whistleblower protections at all. So I really? asked, I asked him and he gives good advice on that one in the next or one of the next episodes next week. I asked him with the Michael Swango case, if he has any advice for serial killers, you know, cause, and so he answers that too. Anyway, <laughs> Just in case anyone else is listening out there. No, no, no I didn't say advice. I you asked. Did. I said, all right. I said, do you? That's how it sounded. Like warning. I said, no. I said, um, do you? Is there anything you want to say to a, a serial killer out there in the medical field? Something like that. Okay. Anyway, to answer your your one question, Sydney says, if you want to hurt people, become a dentist. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You'll be a dentist. So, like, I asked him that too. And you'll hear him later because I was like, do people do people like serial killers go through medical school just to be able yeah, to kill people? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. That's probably not the case, though. I mean, who's going to do that? That's a lot Psychopaths? of... Psychopaths? Yeah, to, to go You'd through medical be, you school? You really effing smart yeah. to, you know... To, to go that route. Although you don't necessarily have to go to medical school to become a registered nurse. You, I mean, no, nursing true. school is Very not true. as long as a program is medical Very school. But, but like for somebody to pass organic chemistry or, you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a no for me. Uh, second Sydney says, it's like when a nurse or doctor comes in to do something, you won't tell them no. You just assume that they know what they're doing and then boom, dead. This is Kristen Gilbert right here. If you want to describe her. Obviously, the right picture is before she was caught. So, this uh, can you describe Kristen Gilbert for us? Um, she's a girl. She's a lady. Oh my god, you guys are terrible, man! <laughs> Holy shit! I'm trying to ga- gauge her age, um, because the and black the f- and white photo. I'm like, is she? That looks like in the 70s. It does. The black and white photo, but she does not look. So she would that that picture on the left. She looks like in her forties. For anyone on live chat, can you describe? Okay, so I <laughs> I was reading something or you saw, heard something once bad. where she's a girl. She's got she's probably you're got, not supposed to like not 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 supposed to, but a lot of the time when we're describing, I told you that Jen. Don't say that you heard that somewhere. What you're not supposed to say? Oh, she was really pretty. Oh, that was you victim. who said that. Obviously, that was me. I've fucking done 400 obviously. episodes of this <laughs> No, no, not obviously. See, I was paying attention. I just didn't remember. Okay, so uh, okay, so in, in the photo to the left, what she's Jen, uh, probably in her... Hold on a second. What Jen's talking about is you're, like, you're not supposed to say, oh, this victim was pretty, but I mean, honestly... Because they're more than that, but a lot of people do it. Yeah, this is what, what you do. That's why the same thing is like a cheerleader a a blonde nice looking blonde cheerleader gets more news coverage than you know whoever you're going with 80s all right that's fair all right so she's in her 40s lightish brown medium brown hair pink lips 
blue eyes. Hmm. Little longer than shoulder length hair. How many people do you think she's killed? Does she look like a killer? She's she also a soccer mom. Would never have. I kind of can thought. see it. I mean, it's interesting that she has a big toothy smile in the first picture where she's younger and a closed mouth smile. Is well, yeah. That, what she is was, that saying? She was facing the death penalty. Okay, but she hey, she's smiling. I would say forty-five <laughs> victims plus. One second, think about this right quick before we go any further, and I'll tell you later. Kristen Gilbert was facing the death penalty in a state which doesn't have the death penalty, Massachusetts. Massachusetts hasn't executed. Well, the the last woman they executed was a woman that was a witch. Was <laughs> I can't remember her name. I think Ethel Rosal or something. She. Oh, I thought you were about to say Lizzie. Boyd. No, no, she. she Lizzie Borden was acquitted. <gasps> she was. Um, I don't know the story well enough, Jen. We haven't covered it yet. Nice so. breaks in April, so there's that. <laughs> this lady was convicted of giving Soviets information about the nuclear bomb. Oh. They executed her. Fucking crazy. I want to do that story. Ooh, that sounds super interesting. Anyway, and relevant. So, so if she's fa- so she's facing the death penalty in a state where they don't kill people, right? Did, so I'm going to say decide, it's over. I'm going to say it's triple digits. Did they decide on the Sarnev? It doesn't matter kid? how many people. All right. Anyway, moving on. I'm saying it's that egregious for for it have to be really egregious. Yeah, well, but yeah. If, if it's abolished, then it's abolished. They can't just be like, oh, wait a minute, let's let's, let's take it back. it back. No, 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 because because they can the, bring it back, but they, only for future victims, for future killers. Well, well no, no, because the because the Sarnev Sarnev they were considering the death penalty for him, the Boston bomber. Do you remember the marathon bomber? Yeah. And Sydney too says, if she walks into my room as a nurse, I'm not even thinking twice about her being a killer. To be honest, she looks like she was that fake nice to bub- too bubbly person. So this is from the book Behind the Murder Curtain. So, and the title Behind the Murder Curtain, the, the reason he used that title, as you'll see, is the killings happen after the doctor or nurse pulls back the curtain and is private with that victim and usually that victim is unaware of what's going on so it'd usually be something inserted into an iv bag or something like that this lady kristen gilbert one we're talking about tonight used epinephrine the michael swango case uses two different drugs epinephrine and succedylcholine i think that's how they call it sucks in the um in the hospitals. That sucks. But one of them is like a sedative and then epinephrine is uh, it's a, uh, adrenaline. Yeah. The statistical claim that the chances of her being an attending nurse at so many deaths were 100 million to one, Thanks. which indicated that she created the life or death situations. Yeah. So Okay. So maybe I'm not so far <laughs> off by saying triple digits mm. in her kill count guess. Well, not. Mm, no one knows for sure. It was a cold, chilly day. On Ward C of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Medical Center, there was a different kind of chill that penetrated the floor. It was a deep, eerie feeling. Patients were dying unexpectedly from sudden cardiac arrest. Three nurses came together and voiced their suspicions. It was every hospital's nightmare. 
There was a killer among them, one who coldly and callously killed four men and attempted to kill two others by injecting them with the heart stimulant epinephrine. So that's how many she was tried for. Probably a lot more. But these the difference about the, these cases is that they're veterans, specifically, mm-hmm. which is kind of fucked up. So, yeah. like this uh, special agent, Bruce Sackman, his job when he first started in that field, like, it was no, nothing homicide related. He's not a homicide detective, per se. He was just introduced to uh, the VA killer, the Michael Swango, and then he had... Then this uh, Bruce Sackman had like an obsession, a good obsession with trying to stop him, which he did. But, you know, that wasn't his what he normally did. He was just a regular like fraud detective. So a lot of people in the VA, especially that like your old grandpa from, you know, whatever wars in the VA, somebody may somebody may go in there and masquerade as a relative and to try to steal their benefits and stuff like that. So that that was the cases that he was normally dealing with is Got fraud it. cases and stuff of that nature. So this is Kristen Gilbert right here, born November 13th, 1967. She was born Kristen Heather Strickland. She was born in Fall River and eventually she moved to Groton. Mm-hmm. Remember that's at? Groton. Mm-hmm. She's the oldest of two daughters. She was in honor classes and a middle-class life. Good parents, really good parents. I mean, she was in the fucking math club, which I didn't even know math had a club. I thought that was like math class. And then I figured it's out that- It's called mathletes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and then I looked it up. I was like, wait, no, I'm just people kidding. want to do math? It's freaking crazy. So on duty of the 350 deaths since March 1989 when she started at the VA to February 1996, there was a one out of 100 million chance. Quote, she injected them with synthetic adrenaline that converted their hearts into fatally revved up and out of control pumps. Mm. Fucking crazy. These are fucking veterans too, man. Her patients were weakened soldiers who had marched against Hitler battered Tojo in the South Pacific, or risked the terror of bamboo prisons along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Her own father, Richard Strickland, which was an electronics executive, had told a psychiatrist that his own daughter, Heather, he told his psychiatrist that his own daughter was a pathological liar. She often bragged that she had a distant relationship to Lizzie Borden. If you want to read this, this is a testimony about her as a kid. She was not hot-headed or anything like that, said John Moore, who lived next door to Strickland's under a canopy of trees set back from a busy street in Groton, a picturesque New England village of handsome homes, private schools, and colonial-era stone walls. She was a great kid, a cute kid, Moore added. She seemed decent and normal, pretty intelligent, sharp. Fun for it's fun for fun story. John Moore is the name of the um the uncle or cousin that was also at the scene of the Lizzie Borden. House oh, maybe he's related. No, he was related to them. So what? What did she do? Like cut up her family? Kid. Right. What she cut up her family and got away with it? Something like that. Awesome. Lizzie Borden. I don't know. I haven't done this story. I was asking a yeah. serious question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Why'd she get away with it? There's lots of 
there's lots of theories. Oh, yeah? Well, what's one of them? Well, I will tell you when I tell the story. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Kristen Gilbert, on the other hand, you know, my vision of a serial killer had always been like a Charles Manson type. Mm Mm-hmm. Easy looking guy with a swastika on his forehead, a real nut job. I like this he guy. He becomes a typical soccer mom, kind of attractive, actually. Uh, the last person <laughs> in the world you would ever think oh, sorry, was guys. actually capable of killing people. But she did. She even tried to uh, poison her husband. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she had a lot of issues, but she was one of those well, Munchausen syndrome by proxy who liked that attention. Mm-hmm. Who would mm. pe- put people into a code and love the attention that, that she got. And uh, that case also took a, a couple of years. We, we did that case with the Massachusetts State Police who did a phenomenal job. They were super helpful. They had a great super. detective assigned to the case and the, the, the local police helped as well. That was probably the best team I had ever seen put together of state and and local and federal people working together on one case. It was really a phenomenal team. You know, um, Swango had some political issues as you read it. Yeah. It was very painful at the time, I must say, very painful at the time. Yeah. Where am I at? I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) You're like listening, but like also like, okay, guy, I got it. No. No, I just didn't record my video for some reason. The fuck? Nicole. Don't look at me. So, yeah, we'll we'll hear more from him later. He was was real fun to uh, interview. He's got, uh, he's very lively. His book is really well written, very honest. He's from New York? Um, Yeah, he is from New York. Where they were working, the building that they worked in was, I think he said, 12 blocks away from the towers. Oh, wow. When they fell or something like that. Because he has a whole chapter in there about the towers falling. It's a really good book. And what's really important, and one of the reasons I really want to do this case, is because the guy to stop medical serial killers is that guy on the screen. Mm. Okay? He has he developed his own protocol for doctors and nurses to look out mm. for in case. Because th- there's nothing, right? There's, there's nothing. Yeah, we know how to look for serial killers. We got MO and all that stuff. You know, and be behavioral profile stuff like that. But as far as medical serial killers, there's nothing. So he invented all of this stuff, all the protocols used that are used in hospitals today. He's got like a, a A through Z checklist of what to look for for a medical serial killer, and a lot of them make a lot of sense now that we've done other cases like Charles Cullen and Kristen Gilbert. For instance, just one that comes to mind is they love to work the graveyard shifts. Okay, so if you have a doctor or a nurse that wants to work the graveyard shift, it doesn't mean they're a serial killer or something like that, but it does it does check off one of those boxes. Mm-hmm. Another one is what he was talking about, codes. And I, I this is the first time I've heard the word in the book, but Kristen Gilbert and Michael Swango, which we'll talk about, Kristen Gilbert especially, love to put the patients, her patients in a code, which basically means their heart stops and the, the monitor goes, you know, that line mm-hmm. or whatever. Flatline. Yeah, because think about it. All right, why would she like to do that? Like, why why would she like to do that? Why is she a code junkie? That's what he calls them. Because she feels like she has control over someone's life. Well, she can do that 
by just killing them. The reason that, and this is part of her MO, that she really likes to do that is because if she doesn't kill him right there with the code, then guess what? She knows exactly what's wrong with them. So she saves the victim that she tried to kill. And now all the doctors and nurses are looking at her like, damn, great job. So she gets this boost of confidence and everyone's like, wow, I can't believe you saved him type of thing. However, she knows exactly what's wrong with them because she's the one that injected them with the epinephrine. Got it. So she, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So she's doing that for the praise too. That's why, that's what she's called a code junkie. As far as uh, her being a code junkie too, and she wants the attention from, you know, even if she doesn't kill a patient then to save the patient, she wants that recognition. This, this is unfortunately... <laughs> more common than than the video kind of freezes um sorry the there's there's two cycle terms for it the one i like is munchausen syndrome it was during the munchausen syndrome is that somebody will intentionally harm themselves and then go in a hospital because they're looking for sympathy and care all of that all right but munchausen syndrome by proxy is when like a mother will intentionally harm a child, mm-hmm. bring that child in the hospital uh-huh. and try to show the staff what a loving, caring parent they are, yeah. even though they actually cause these problems to be- begin with. In fact, there was a recent story that I took out of the newspaper about a woman who did this to a child, even forced her child to have unnecessary surgery. Oh, uh, Gypsy Gypsy Rose? Yeah, just so she could go into the hospital and show the staff what a caring parent she has. Yeah, she got... So he's talking about, as far as the Munchausen by proxy, Mm -hmm. like she's introducing this this code and this drug to the patients, and now she's curing it for recognition. So that's kind of what he's going along with there. Of a nurse... uh, who admitted to killing over a hundred patients, but the German police who I- Oh, he's talking about a German case. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second, leave. It's very, very disturbing. So it's, yeah. it's interesting because these cases like this, like Kristen Gilbert, have occurred all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, recently there was a case in Germany of a nurse, uh, who admitted to killing over a hundred patients, but the German police who I consulted with, um, they think it's more like 300 patients. And the German police did an incredible investigation on this case. And he loved the excitement of a code, just like Kristen Gilbert. Mm. He would intentionally put these people in the code and then rush in with the crash card and perform emergency actions on these people. And the rest of the staff thought the guy was incredible for a while. After a while, they started to think maybe not. All right. And he just loved the excitement of the code. And, and that's Jeez. why he's and he's not the only one. He's not the only one. There are other, other people in the world that have this uh Today, it's known as factitious disorder. I actually like the old phrase Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Yeah. That's a cool one. 
Yeah, so it is a way cooler name. I agree. I told him like after reading his book, I was like, dude, I I don't ever want to go to the hospital again. <laughs> uh, I was worried that that was going to be where you were headed with that statement. Um, so Kristen Gilbert, a little bit about her, enrolled at Mount Wasatchusett Community College, later at Greenfield Community College, and and March sixth, nineteen eighty nine, is when she got the VA job, and she worked in the. The Ward C. If you want to read this, this is kind of from her friends growing up, what they would claim she was like. We used to sit and watch General Hospital, said Smythurst, referring to the long-running afternoon soap opera. And this sounds freaky and almost made up now, but there was one character in the show who was this evil nurse. And I remember Kristen said, I like Amy. And I said, oh, my God, why would you like Amy? And she just said, I just like Amy. Amy was conniving and backstabbing, and I just remember thinking, this is kind of strange. She was really good at her job, and she was very well-liked when she got at VA in 1989. She, everyone loved her. I saw reports where she would like organize the secret Santas and stuff like that. Hmm. She, Everyone loved her. One of her proficiency reports, and I'm pulling this from the Boston Globe, quote, she is highly skillful in medical emergencies, and she is calm and compassionate with a mentally compromised patient. She is routinely assigned to ICU, end quote. In 1990, her first child was born, a boy. 1993, her second child, which they're, they're now like younger than me. They're like your age, 1990, 1990 and 1993. The one that was born in 1990 is my age. Yeah. So, but, so now she's like a soccer mom and a serial killer. Mr. Sackman said that... He- that she had the Munchausen's by proxy, but was that just with her patients or did she? Um... Oh, do that with her kids. Oh, that's a good question. I I didn't see anything about the kids. I th- well, there's there's a specific reason which we're going to get to in a second why she was coding these patients. I mean, yes, yeah, she loved the adrenaline, but there was there was another party involved, and oh. she's married by this point to a guy named Glenn who she tried to kill. By- oh, Glenn Gilbert. <laughs> By poisoning him <gasps> with arsenic. I was going to oh. ask if if she had attempted anything outside of the hospital. Yeah, was that her downfall? No, it wasn't her downfall. The no, it wasn't her downfall. Mm. The husband arsenic is almost hard to trace too. The mm. the husband he's actually still alive and he testified against her. But what's crazy the a case we're covering next week with the Michael Swango case. He loved, he's a doctor who would prefer to be assigned in the ambulance. Like Mm. when, you know, people were dying and stuff. Loved, he loves killing. He tried to kill his entire paramedic team by giving them donuts laced with rat poison. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking nuts. (laughs) And now donuts are ruined for me. That's a lot. Thanks a lot, John. Anyway. So if you can read uh, page 109, this is uh, when she first started working. This is the type of person she is. In 1987, shortly after Gilbert graduated from nursing school, we learned that she took a job with the Visiting Nurse Association of Franklin County, Massachusetts. She disciplined a special needs child she was caring for by pouring scalding bath water over his body. The child suffered severe burns over 60% of his body. And that was before she started killing people. <laughs> so fucking nuts, right? That just makes me very upset. 
I don't like that. One uh, now I know that that's your thing. Now that it's been pointed out, I don't like that. One one coworker said, "quote I don't know if she had two personalities or something that she could turn on and off, much like an actor playing a role." Hmm. You want to read this? Welch, the assistant U.S. attorney, said that after Gilbert joined the evening shift in early 1991, its death rate tripled compared with the previous three years. The death rate on the overnight shift, which she left in late 1990, dropped back to 1987 levels, said Welch. So in essence, the deaths followed Gilbert as she switched from shift to shift, said Welch at a pretrial hearing. I have a sticky situation. What? So. (laughs) What the fuck? So I've heard that before. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, uh, like a, a, I've said that before. Ew, gross. A poten- <laughs> like a potentially, I don't know. Like, like if you have, if you ha- uh, mental health is very important. Okay, so if you have someone that's in the healthcare field who's struggling with mental health problems, which. I'm sure a lot of people are because it, it everyone has their own mm-hmm. problems. But if you have someone who is, you know, who has taken an oath to do no harm and then you have these incidents that like you, you know, find out that she's pouring scalding water over a child or like has these like where where do you draw the line of, OK, we're not going to employ you as a healthcare professional because you are intentionally harming people I mean, and not like like. It's a good que- it's a good question. So I think one like she can be fired from her job, but employment employers John said don't provide discharge reasons. Like well, no, we only provide dates of service and position help. Right. When I was in HR right? we couldn't say anything about so, what happened. I had asked them that like why is it why can these medical serial killers kill so many people? And is honestly the biggest reason is the hospital themselves. The hospital never wants to admit that they've hired a serial killer and will go to great lengths to stop any whistleblower activity from going on. They'll actually prolong the killing for the reputation of the hospital. Because if a hospital is known for harboring a serial killer, everyone that drives by that hospital is going to be like, oh, that's where so-and-so worked to kill all them patients. That's a good way to get a hospital shut down. I mean, wouldn't they... Like, medical malpractice would also come into play in, like, these types of situations where I don't know if these... You know, situations if they were ever sued by a family member. Yeah, they're usually sued by the family members, but the hospital staff is usually the one covering it up. And a lot of times, I mean, you got to think about it. If someone comes to say, oh, this nurse so-and-so is killing people. Okay, what proof do you have before you go ahead and and tarnish this hospital and all of its employees, because think about it, you tarnish this hospital, you're affecting your own co-workers who are now may get laid off because of the reprimands of the hospital and stuff like that. So what proof do you have? Did you see this person do it? The, the usual answer is no. No one saw Kristen Gilbert 
murdering anyone. All they saw her do is walk out the exit door. So, well, but that would still be like, it's not that she was necessarily at fault for doing something, but she's certainly at fault for not doing something. In that case, help try to save the person. I would say it also depends on whether the state in which the person's employed is at will or not. Mm. South Carolina is an at will state. Okay, so oh, yeah. is Massachusetts. The, all right. Is it? So Bruce, uh, Special Agent Sackman wrote his protocol, Red Flags Protocol, and these are the things to look for that he's seen in all these medical serial killers. And you said, like, why don't they just fire him? Because on one of these, he says, suspect often continues patient care during the investigation, removed only after allegations become public. Once they become public, then they'll resign. But they don't want to resign because then they will just admit that they're killing people. But to to look at the crime scene, I actually asked uh, Mr. Sackman about the crime scene. It was like, how how can you... Okay, so there's no blood or anything. How, you know, how can you actually prove that someone did this? And this is what he said. In my presentation, what I do is I take like a typical Colombo crime scene. You remember the yeah. Colombo body there and the... Uh, the perpetrator, if you will, is walking around answering all of Colombo's questions, and they have the lab boys and photographers and all that. A hospital crime scene, for the most part, the person has long gone from the hospital, mm-hmm. probably buried. Um, all, all the lines and injections and everything that was given has long been thrown out. And lastly, your crime scene, if you will, has been scrubbed to surgical standards. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You don't have that. You don't have that CSI like you see on television. Yeah. You know, I wish you did. It's very, very rare. Did I answer your question in a roundabout way? Well, I guess it was more so, like, is what would it look like if healthcare industry was one that you could look into employment details or like i know that you can't because that's the way things are but what if we they made it so that and it was an industry standard because how much information are you getting you know like in potential like what what do you like what when you're hiring someone you can do background checks but right yeah but the background checks are hardly i mean there's such a desperate need for doctors from what i found out like michael swango for instance we're going to talk about next week the hospital that he killed most of his patients at in the United States didn't do a background check, hmm. and they took his word. He had a uh, felony. He spent two years in prison. What he said was just a barroom fight, but we know he tried to poison his co-workers, his paramedic co-workers, with rat poison. If they would have just did a background check, a real one, instead of taking his word for it because he's a doctor— then they would have saw that, but they didn't. So like most of these cases, they don't do full background checks. Mm, They just kind of take your word at it. But even if you did perform a background check and things weren't like illegal that you were doing, or if they- If no charges were ever made. If there were no charges- um, or yeah, but usually were, it's a suspicions, like letting go. But of, that's not going to be in somebody's record. Right. It's not going to be in a background Yeah, check, but they but, can call the hospital and but, talk to whoever. You but can't. that's the thing. You, you can't. can't. That you you said like that's not that's they have a similar policy that a lot of other companies do. But I do have a thought of when someone is getting a um, government security clearance, 
you do have they send a form and you do mm-hmm. have to provide a little bit more information on mm-hmm. that and you have to say like whether tr- like truthfully would you rehire this person did they do anything like that would qualify as like gross misconduct or something like that and you have to answer those questions for somebody to qualify for a government clearance so you could uh, make this an argument that a hospital system should do something similar for healthcare professionals. But if it's if pri- if hospitals are in the private sector then you can't have those requirements, correct? I'm saying like maybe that's something that hospital systems in general like should do. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying too, but I don't know, it's just kind of tricky, I guess. And sorry for opening right. the can of worms. No, I, I think just- it's really interesting like how do you prevent it? All right, so why was she doing this? There was a 7-year period and the reason she actually liked a patient to go into code is yeah, she liked the adrenaline, but she had also when at when at this hospital, the the police, the cop on duty, if a patient goes into code, you know, and needs to be resuscitated or whatever, or is about to die, that police officer has to respond to that room to help the doctors or whatever. That police officer was James Perrault, P-E-R-R-A-U-L-T, and they were having an affair. Oh. So, here's how it goes down. This guy, she's on the night shift, obviously, the graveyard shift. She would purposely code her, her, her patients. She would purposely code her patients, or just so James, this man that was 25 years old at the time, would come and respond to to the patient and they can as one paper said play footsie together because they were actually doing that playing footsie together so she would code these patients and he he testified that he did notice that when she was on duty there was a lot more codes going on she like they couldn't just go into the supply closet like a normal couple having an affair sydney goes oh snap (laughs) But she's married, remember, to Glenn. And then no at- wonder Glenn testified against her. So that's why she tried to poison him. Uh, here you go. Right? You, you can read this. This is from the Boston Globe. Peralt knew Gilbert was a wife and a mother of two, but he said she hinted that her seven-year-old marriage was on the rocks. They exchanged emails that were seductive and funny and increasingly sexually charged. After a few weeks of just flirting back and forth, we were down at the VFW, and after the VFW closed, I walked her out to her vehicle, and we had a kiss, Peralt said. All right, this is where it gets salacious here. So now she's a mama, too. She's been married to Glenn, but then she meets this guy, James Peralt, who was an Army veteran, Persian Gulf War. He was a department store security guard, but they transferred him to the VA hospital. And he would sit on the night shift at the desk and respond to these codes. That's where he met Kristen. They would play footsie together and flirt while she was doing, you know, bringing this guy back to life that she had put down. It's fucked up. Right. So this new affair actually brought happier times for her husband, Glenn, because usually... From what I found out, when you have an affair, you, you the home life is happier at first, at least. Oh, and you how'd know? you find that out? With this story. 
what the fuck i'm talking about from the woman's perspective at first you meet this nice man you know the guy that you're married to is just sits around the house and talks on the microphone every once in a while anyway you meet this new guy and you come home and you're happy but you can't tell him why at least at first so you start cooking for him here's a nice homemade dinner i can do this every night and then your husband's like I love it that you're doing this, but does this taste a little funny? I don't know. She started poisoning him a lot and almost killed him twice, mm. actually. On November 5th, 1995, he got real sick. She had poisoned him almost to the point of death. He was discharged from the hospital after they couldn't do anything about it. They just let him kind of recover. He, they couldn't tell him what was wrong with him. He goes back home a week later. He has what she calls a fainting spell, which was just poison. He does faint because of the poison. The The wife, Kristen Gilbert, shoves him into a, a broom closet and tries to give him like an intravenous death dose, if you will. The couple went into the bathroom where Kristen removed two syringes from a canvas bag. One needle was filled with clear, odorless liquid. Kristen told Glenn it was saline. She wrapped a tourniquet around his arm. She told him she was going to flush out his vein before drawing blood, a dangerous procedure that is not standard. Mm. Glenn said that after the needle went in, his arm grew cold. Color drained from his arms and chest. He tried to pull away. He asked her to stop. Instead, prosecutors said Gilbert would testify that his wife pinned him against the wall with her hip and speeded up the injection. He lost consciousness and slid to the bathroom floor. That's how you know you got a keeper. How did she <laughs> like? How was that instance not his her downfall? Or was well, it? this is during. So the downfall is happening now. She was only there for seven years. The downfall is during this affair because she's married. She tries to kill her husband. James Perrot says, listen, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to give you an old tomato. <laughs> <laughs> an ultimatum. Right. I'm going to give you an old tomato. Either you leave him or I'm leaving you. Quote, she immediately walked over to the payphone. They were at the food court flirting around. Now, she's got two fucking babies at home, right? Two kids. And she's out in the food court with this asshole. Jesus. You know, this 25-year-old. And, like, flirting and kissing and smooching and playing butt tag. And pooping on each other. Stop it. Quote, she immediately walked over to the payphone down in the food court and called her husband. Glenn, I'm leaving you. That's what she says. Well, <laughs> so Glenn turned out to probably have saved his life by doing yeah, that. Yeah. One week later, she moves out, leaves her kids and rents a $500 cheap apartment underneath the apartment where James Perrot was living. Well, it's probably good for James Peralt that they didn't move in together. Yeah. Now you want to? Now that's not even the only fuck. The, the real fucked up thing about this case. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> what do you mean the real fucked up thing? How? How? Okay, I don't have a picture of this guy. This is the family of a man named Kenneth Cutting. Cutting like cutting something. Yeah. Okay. This is the family. You see how sad they are. You can tell that they're distraught. He was a patient of hers. This is fucked up. I don't even know how to say this. So you're just going to have me read yeah, it? Yeah, I'll just have you read it. 
she was he was a patient it was a veteran doing well on the road to recovery not ready to expire at all has another 20 30 years of life in him i mean you see the family how just shocked like they're like what the fuck how did he die she was the only one in the icu that night and there's a problem there's a big problem here She's the only one. And he's the only patient that she's got. But f- shit, man, me and James had made a dinner date. We oh, have no. a dinner date. So she goes down to the boss and says, you know, I have this date. It's at this nice restaurant. I want to kiss my boyfriend. You know, we're trying to work things out. No, you can't. You can't leave because you have a patient. Kenneth Cutting, you have a patient. You have to stay. If that patient is still there, then you're still here. Oh, I don't like this. <laughs> On January 26th, 1996, when he developed a high fever because of an infection, he was transferred to Ward C. Over the next several days, he was attended to by Gilbert and other nurses. Working the night shift in a very quiet Ward C on February 2nd, 1996, Gilbert was told to report to the ICU where he, where her only patient was cutting. After, as previously stated that evening, she asked her supervisor for that shift, John Wall, if she could leave work early. Wall explained that in the ICU, she needed to stay with the patient until there was some kind of change in his condition. A few hours later, Gilbert killed cutting and left work early. She made her date, though. That's fucked. She killed her patient, patient so she can go on a date. That's messed up. <laughs> Is that not fucked? Yeah. <laughs> That's fucked up. You're interfering uh, with my social life. How dare you? How dare you live? All right, so... The reason she was caught is because of Special Agent Bruce Sackman and, and his team, his forensic nurses and stuff like that, so, so, so some people came forward with yeah, some, some suspicion. Yeah, that's how it always works. People come forward, and then the media may get involved and throw allegations out there. And if the story gets too big, and usually at this point, the hospital is trying their best to cover it up. They don't want to fire the person because then they, it's like, oh, so you knew this happening. But as the investigation was going on, people did, nurses did come forward. The investigation is going on. She continues to work at the hospital. And this is what usually happens, as Bruce says in his book. She'll continue to work there as nothing was going on. However, she started calling in bomb threats to the, to the VA hospital. And what happens in a bomb threat is you have to evacuate all the patients. And in a VA hospital... That could be pretty hard because they're elderly patients. They're hooked up to machines or whatever. You got to get everyone out of the building. That's a big fucking task. So she is now going to local pay phones and using. Do you guys remember what a talk boy is? A beeper? Talk boy. I used to have one. It's like a, it's a toy. It's a child's toy. Is it the thing in Home Alone? Yeah. Yeah. yeah! They do have that in Home Alone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Here, I'll show you. The thing that he records, he's always recording and he plays the stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah there yeah, was yeah. also a, a talk girl and a talk boy junior I looked up. 
Yeah, I used to have one of these. So she went to the the toy store because they went and they they saw where she, the receipt and everything, and she buys a talk boy, which I'll show you what that oh is. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy I made that connection. Good job. Yes. That it was, was like a good. recorder, but it was like a Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll show you guys in a yes, minute. Let me, uh, yes, 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 yes. Get a bigger picture here. There's a thing in Home Alone. But, so the, this talk boy. As seen in Home Alone 2. I used to have one, and they would. Uh, John was the first guy in his school to have one. Mm. Well, so you talk into that little thing at the top, and you can actually, or the talk, board, talk boy juniors, at least, they had a voice changer on it. Mm-hmm. So it changed your voice. I think it was like an alien and a robot. Mm. Yep. So she went to these local payphones using this talk boy and she was started calling in bomb threats to to, to the own her own freaking hospital. So she didn't so, have to go to work? No, because she was about to be arrested for killing patients and she was trying to delay the investigation and stuff ah. like that. Plus plus at this point her affair with James Perrot is on the rocks because he basically found out that she was coding people on on purpose and that she was making these calls about the bomb threat. So now he's like, I, I don't want to see you anymore. So now she starts getting really erratic and doing crazy, crazy things. And soon after that, she was arrested. Wow. Understanding he was looking for a toy, not something that would have been purchased at an electronics specialty store, he went to the town's Toys R Us first. There, with the cooperation of the store manager, he confirmed Gilbert purchased two voice-altering devices. The first, known as Talk Girl Jr. The second, purchased days later, was a device known as Talk Boy Jr. They were toys for children to have fun with, but which we thought Gilbert had put a sinister use. Oh, man, I miss my Talk Boy. I would love to have that damn thing back. Yeah, that's probably worth a lot of money now. Fuck yeah. I've, I've been on my nostalgia hit with these cassette tapes. Cassettes are coming back, people. Their suspicions increased when Gilbert found the bomb in the IV closet. It was made up of a Kleenex box attached to a small bag of IV fluid wrapped in tape. The cops remembered that she was also on duty when the fires were reported, and she was the one who located them. The jury did convict her of several murders but i asked you earlier why there was a there was a second trial for should she be put to death but however in massachusetts the death penalty is abolished so did you ever think about how they could get around that for her case specifically they ended up not putting her to death which is good because i mean i don't know is it because it was a federal case hold on let me show you this guy says it Oh, yeah, because crimes happen on federal property. She went to trial. Many, many medical serial killers don't go to trial. Hmm. Um, some do, but many, many don't. Meaning they plead? Many of them just kind yeah, of they can pass. admit to what they did. Hmm. Not that they're ashamed of what they did, but they just kind of admit to it almost like a boast. Mm-hmm. But she went to trial and she denied, denied, denied. And that's, this trial lasted six months. Now, could you imagine going to court almost every day for six months and hearing witnesses and expert testimony? And the media was there every day, particularly the local media. Mm-hmm. And she loved it. 
because she loved the attention. I wonder if that's why she went to trial. Even though she's being accused of murdering people, she loved the attention. Why she couldn't wait till somebody brought her the next, the, the day's newspaper to see what story was in the paper about her at the trial. So this trial lasted for six months and she was found guilty. She loved the attention so much. We've seen this in a couple true crime cases. On June 27th, 2003, while sitting at the conference table in my office, one of my special agents dropped a news story that on my lap that almost knocked me to the floor. The headline in the page six section of the New York Post read, Jailed Squeaky's Lesbian Lust. The article called it Caged Heat and reported that Lynette Squeaky Fromm, who was sent to prison on 30 years before attempting for attempting to kill President Gerald Ford, had entered into a lesbian relationship in prison with the convicted serial killer Kristen Gilbert. The article stated that they had so much in common that their close friendship blossomed into a love relationship. It's cute. She goes to prison. And somebody comes in my office and they say, hey, Bruce, have you seen today's New York Post? What's in today's New York Post? New York Post had a story of how Kristen Gilbert, when she's in prison, she's having what they call a caged heat affair with none other than Squeaky Fromm, who attempted to kill President Ford. All right. So she could get in the newspapers again. Even in prison. He loves he this. <laughs> He's a fantastic guy, man. concerned about bringing attention on yeah. himself. But yeah, he was fantastic to talk to. Very animated. Wow. Mm. I could listen to that guy talk about stories forever. I mean. I can't wait to hear about uh, 007. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I saved that one for last. But anyway, this is about why. This is the, the how she was spared the death penalty. But then comes a separate trial, a separate little mini trial that has to do with whether or not she should be given the death penalty or not. All right. This is very, very emotional because this is the opportunity for the families of the victims to get up and talk. And they can say, you know, dad served in Korea, World War II, Vietnam, you know, and he received all these medals and he was such a wonderful person only to be murdered, murdered at, at a, a VA hospital by nurse Kristen Gilbert. It's very, very moving. So this lasted, and I forget how long it lasted, but it, it lasted a much, much shorter time. And then the jury went out and they came back and they said, um, no death penalty. And the judge gave her uh, multiple life sentences without mm-hmm. the possibility of parole which we were actually fine with because Kristen Gilbert was a mom and she had two young kids and we really didn't want to see her be executed. I thought yeah. life in prison was perfect. All right, here's the last thing about the um, death penalty. You know, Kristen Gilbert, of course, was, was a nurse who was tried and convicted for killing a, a number of uh, our nation's heroes and in the in the uh, VA hospital in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and Massachusetts, as you correctly pointed out, is a state that does not have the death penalty. But because the crime occurred on a VA hospital, 
And the VA <laughs> hospital jurisdictions kind of come in three different flavors. Mm-hmm. The first one is what we call exclusive jurisdiction. It's like a military base. All right. Even you could have a military base in your state, but that's under the exclusive laws of the federal government because it's a military reservation. All right. So even though it appears to be physically in your state, it's actually on federal property. So some VAs are come under that umbrella of being exclusive federal jurisdiction. Others like Northampton are what we call concurrent jurisdiction. They could go either way. It could go either state or federal, all right? And then lastly, and most rarely, mm. there are uh, VAs, which we call proprietorial jurisdiction, which means that the state has primary jurisdiction because the VA is usually just renting something from the state, okay? Uh, okay. So they that come in sense. those three different flavors. Most of them are actually exclusive federal jurisdiction, just like a military base. Yeah. And the police really can't come on that property unless they have some agreement or, you know, they're, they're working along with the feds. Yeah. Interesting. Did you look up what Charleston is? No, I didn't. But I, I you don't want it to be state owned. And the reason he was saying it is because the police, uh, just the regular cops, may not be fully adept in, in the medical terminology and this guy bruce sackman the special agent that is his job is in the medical field so if you if it's federally owned they can bring in those resources you know like that hmm. it's fascinating yeah one more thing i told you i'd play that he said uh the advice to nurses and then for the next episode i asked him if he had any uh thing to say to serial killers because michael swango's we're going to talk about next week was a freaking demon dude i'm like really stuck on this um not reporting issue is there anything you want to say i have a lot of nurses that listen to us so the true crime is predominantly female based as far as listenership so we have a lot of nurses and let's say a nurse out there listening now has you know, suspicions about this stuff. I mean, I know you had the red flag protocol and stuff like that, but is there any advice you could give? Yeah, You know what? First of all, no one has more respect for nurses than I do. And I've actually arrested a number of them, not just killing patients, but for stealing drugs and doing, but in spite of that, no one has more respect for nurses than I do. And I would tell this to my nursing friends out there, you know, like, like with anything else, if you see something, say something. The mm. only way we ever would learn about any of these cases is from nurse or doctor coming forward and telling us about it. You know, oh yeah, you know, there's a, a, a Pixis machine which dispenses drugs mm. and they watch very carefully where drugs are going and how much drugs are going and all that. But honestly, throughout the world, throughout the world, the way all these cases surfaced is through the courage of nurses and doctors to mm. come forward, in spite of all this electronic monitoring. Yeah. In spite of it, that's how it came forward. So we are totally dependent on the honesty and integrity of the medical profession. And like I say, the overwhelming majority of them are just the salt of the earth people who really want to do the right thing. Now, sometimes mm. you could do it anonymously. You know, hospitals have compliance departments. Mm. You could do it anonymously. 
Um, there's supposed to be whistleblower protection. I think it kind of varies from place to place, hospital to hospital. You know, I think it kind of varies. But um, without them coming forward, we would never know about it. I never been, would have written this book. Yeah. I would have never solved these cases or helped police departments around the world solve these cases without that first step with that honest nurse or doctor. Mm. So You can't fix what you don't know about. Yeah, and this isn't just for V8. The reason I wanted to play that segment is because any listener out there, your grandma, your granny, or your papa may be in the hospital right now. And do you know who's working on them? You know, I mean, 99% of the time is they're in really good care. But the reason that this book is so important, and I think this should be required reading for medical students, but I don't mm. know. But the reason I think that this is so important and his protocols are so important is because like you, we have to take accountability for this because it happens so much. And by the time they figure it out, you already have a hundred something bodies and it's been 10 years yeah. and you can't just, you know, I mean, all these bodies that had piled up that they, they could, they picked four or five that was really suspicious that they can exhume. They had to exhume all the ones that they were going to bring her to trial for and wow. then try to test for a little bit of some sort of, yeah, whatever. something like that. And even then you can't even trace that to her. So it's more of a, you know, it's a lot of circumstantial evidence mm. and it's really hard to do. Yeah. I would imagine. Wow. I don't know. What do you guys think of that case? Fascinating. Can't wait to hear what he's got to say about Swango Tango. Yeah. But anyway, that's all we got for tonight. My name is John. I'm sitting here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. <laughs>